50 plus years training, over 5,000 career wins, more than 100 of those at Group 1 level, and the trainer of some of our greatest racehorses. John Hawkes is absolutely a legend and one of our all-time great trainers. John, to start with, I'm gonna get you to solve one of the great pub debates, and that is who was better, octagonal or Lonro? It's always been uh, debatable, Adam, but I suppose if I really had to, I, I'd say octagonal. Uh, why, why would you go with him? Well, it, they were both different horses, but uh, when you look back at Octagonal's record, he was dead stiff not to win a slipper, you know, and should have won a VRC Derby too, and if you tack that onto his record, it'd be astronomical. Long row, he's most probably outside. made it at stud. Lonro's coming with a big run down the outside. They're across the track. Pure Theatre and Lonro. Ockie's little boy's taken the lead, Lonro, and pulls away to win the guineas. It's Lonro first. Eustonoff flashing home for second. Octagon didn't. So, but in the end, as I said, I, I, I think he just, if I had to, I'd, I'd have him ahead in front. I love that because I think your great mate Darren Beeman probably errs slightly the other way to Lonro. Yeah, he most probably does. He, he, he sort of had maybe a touch better turn of foot, if you want to put it that way, but, uh, gee, I'd love to have an octagonal today, I can assure you of that, and Longro for that matter, but, you know, look, they were both superstars in their own, own right and they raced in an era where they were racing against superstars, so... You know, I'll take one of them any day of the week. Stride for stride now on the Cox Plate. Mahogany, Octagonal, Octagonal, Mahogany. Octagonal's got his nose in front. Octagonal wins the Cox Plate. Incredible career for Octagonal, of course, the 10 Group 1s. A week after he won that Cox Plate. And you, you called him a champion, and you'd, you've rarely say that about horses. He was beaten in that Victoria Derby. They tell me you were gone from the track before he came back to scale. Yeah, no, well, actually, I was still there. I just didn't go out into the mountain yard, you know. So, it's uh, yeah, it's just one of those frustrating days. Uh, I was most probably a touch younger then, so I'm a little touch more reserved today. But, yeah, it was just frustrating, you know. We don't really give instructions, but at the time we said just keep out of trouble. And I think he found more trouble than Speed Gordon, I think, on the day. But, yeah, but, look, that's racing. Darren Gouchy was to ride him. He had a fall earlier in the day. You went to Shane Scriven to take the ride, who was hot property at the time, but it was a horror show. Yeah, it was, you know, but that still happens today. So nothing's really changed. I mean, I've been in the game all my life and there's always good rides, bad rides. And it's good when you're on the, the good ride, but it's not so good when you're on the bad ride. I want to go back to where it all started and that's growing up in Adelaide, um, and you were riding horses on the beach there at Glenelg when you were, well, less than 10, put it that way. Yeah, yeah, I was. At then I was with my parents and my uncle Sid Carter lived with the parents. He happened to be divorced and, yeah, you know, I was always over the stables, didn't like school. So, yeah, and, you know, I used to ride ponies and then, you know, we'd sort of go down. We lived at Glengarry, we'd go down to Glenelg Beach and we'd ride from Glenelg to Brighton get to the Brighton jetty, turn around and come back to Glenelg, give the horses a swim and then just trot them home on the roads back to the stables, so, which there wasn't a lot of traffic in those days. But 
Yeah, it's going back too many years, to be quite honest. You saw, I think you were 12 years old when you saw Tullock win over in Adelaide? Yeah, yeah, I was there sitting up on the, on, on the rail, which it was naturally, it was jam-packed, uh, if you know what I mean. And uh, yeah, just to see, you know, a horse of that calibre uh, was unbelievable. It was just a fantastic era in racing in those days, which I grew up in, do was, you know, Colin Hayes and uh, Bart Cummings, you know, and that's where they come from Adelaide. So, yeah, I used to watch them. It was probably always going to be racing, but you loved all sport, didn't you? You loved your cricket and footy, and baseball is one of your favourite sports now, is that right? Yeah, it still is. Yeah, when I was a kid at school, you know, they come round to the school and, uh, you know, they sort of wanted people to go out and practice for baseball, and, you know, the only reason I did, I wanted it got you out of schoolwork, so I actually went, and, but I really enjoyed it. You, you still know. watch it now? Oh, yeah, still watch the American baseball not so much the local, but the American. Oh, definitely, you know, watch that. So, no, I was lucky enough. And I, you know, I made the state side one year and went to Broken Hill in those days and played shortstop. So, but no, it's something I really enjoyed. You went from riding on the beach to becoming a jockey, and you did that for a few years. Um, success? How did you go at it? Yeah, well, <clears throat> I think I rode 180 winners. I think as an apprentice, you know, which. You know, I don't know, I suppose it was respectable. I only rated myself a B-class type of rider, but I always wanted to be a trainer, and that was part of the process because, you know, I was gonna, always going to get too big, too heavy. And uh, But it was a great insight to learn the ropes on that side of the fence, which in turn, at the same time, I was learning the training side from my old boss, Sid Carter. And, you know, I was lucky enough that now yeah, when I got to the end of the riding, you know, I had a dual licence for 12 months and then I switched to training and things sort of fell into shape pretty quick. It wasn't that long after you started where, thankfully, you found your first star and a, and a superstar she was as well. Yeah, I was lucky enough, uh, perhaps 12, 18 months, you know, we rolled into Toll Trees, little papoose to perhaps not the extent of Toll Trees, but she was the one that Got us mobile, you know, she'd sort of won, won quite a few group ones, the Oaks, the, the Wakeful, the Thousand Guineas, and yeah, in today's era she'd be a superstar, but that really got us rolling pretty quick, you know, and I think the year after, I think we won the Derby, and then we won a Perth Cup, I think, just after that, so we got a few breaks at the time, you know, and that really set us up to continue to roll on. Who were some of the other horses in, in that era before you made the move to Melbourne? Oh, well, you know, Harpagus, we won, I think we won the Oakley Plate with him. Uh, Cameronic, you know, he won a Goodwood. Uh, Lord Galaxy, I think he won a, won a Goodwood. We're lucky enough, you know, we saw, I think we won about 16 Group 1s in Adelaide in that era before I, you know, moved on to Melbourne. A few people must have taken a little bit of notice because you know, when I think I was about 39, I think I shifted when I was 40, it was uh, Saint Adam, uh, no, it was uh, Adam's dad. Uh, yeah, Robert Sankster. Robert Sankster, yeah. Norman yeah. Carline, Bob LaPointe and Jack and Bob Ingham. They were putting a little... Uh, Just the biggest names in the game, basically. Well, yeah, well, they were wanted me to shift to Melbourne and they had a stable at Epsom and they wanted me to sort of come over and take... The, you know, sort of, and give me some horses to train, and yeah, it worked out 
okay, it wasn't brilliant. We had four years there in, in Melbourne and, uh, you know, but it's the old story that in turn got me to, uh, to Sydney, um, which, well, you know, and that was another era again, if you know what I mean, so. You say it was another era, but it was a juggernaut. Those 15 years in Sydney were monstrous. They changed Australian racing. The, the Cerise army was <coughs> born and you were, you were leading the charge. Yeah, no, look, it was fantastic. I can still remember the day I was at Epsom and Jack rang up and, you know, said, you know, how you going? I said, fine. He said, there's a, a Learjet at uh, Essendon Airport. Get on it. I want you up in Sydney and, you know, pardon the expression, I thought, shit, what have I done wrong? <laughs> so, but anyway, you know, uh, we were, I flew to Sydney and they just wanted me to take over the Ingham horses and... Uh, you know, and actually they were big names in Sydney and, uh, you know, and they wanted me to, well, they hadn't been as successful, I think, as they hoped. And naturally, when I got the opportunity, I said, yeah, I'd love to. I said, I just got to speak to my wife when I go back to Melbourne, but I'd already made up my mind <laughs> <laughs> that I was going anyway. And just the opportunity to train for that calibre of people. And I was hopefully looking for the sort of horses that I'd be able to train and as I said, I've always loved the horse and that's what's always motivated me more than money. And as I said, a juggernaut, massive training operations in four states, Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane and Adelaide. I mean, I can't get my head around how you could manage that. In, in one season in the early 2000s, you trained 334 winners. Yeah, and no, I look, it was a seven day a week job, 365 days. Uh, 23 hours a day. Uh, it was just, you know, constant, but in the same thing, I was really loving it. But we, you know, you've got to have really good people behind you. And over that period of time, we had some really good people. But, you know, Peter Snowden, you know, Wayne and Michael, you know, they, they were the mainstay even in those days. And we built around that. And Jack and Bob were just unbelievable. When I first went there, I said, if, if you back me, I think I'll be able to get the results, but which they did, and they were unbelievable. Anything that we wanted, they made sure it happened. And as I said, you work as a team, and that's what we did, and that's why we were successful. Back me, you'll get the results for uh, Hall of Fame inductee in 2004, 10 national premierships, national premierships, over 6,000 winners. Um, marching towards 120 Group 1 wins, almost 750 stakes winners as well. Incredible, but uh, we were talking off camera <clears throat> that everything is chapters, things come to an end, and the Cerise Army and your involvement did come to an end. Um, how, how did that come about? Oh, I think most things don't last forever. Uh, you know, they were fantastic years. Unfortunately, Jack passed. Uh, Bob was still great, but things just started to change a little. I could see things sort of changing and it was just a chapter in my life with my boys had grown up and I always wanted to train with them. So I just thought it was just time that I moved on and would give us the opportunity to, as I said, train as a team. They're years you'll never forget. I mean, you know, what we did in that era. But, but everything, nothing lasts and you've got to move on. It maybe it gets a little more rewarding than that in some ways for this latest chapter with 
Michael and Wayne and and all of the families. It's it, it is a genuine family operation from Jen to to Michael and Wayne and their families as well. Yeah, it is. You know, I said naturally they're both married and we've got a couple of grandkids. So you know, I said it's a different area again, but in some ways it's unbelievably rewarding. You know, to be able to work as a family. We have our discussions, as I call them. We don't have arguments. <laughs> we we have discussions. So, but look, you know, they're young. They got ideas. Uh, they're really, really, really keen. But no, to me, it's you know, it's nearly the ultimate to be able to train with them. Just changing tact. I want to get onto some of the stars you've had, but. Um... Is there a horse through your career that you didn't train? Is there, is there a, a horse that, that just blew you away and you've never forgotten seeing? Yeah, it goes back a lot, a lot of years when I was a little bit younger and that's vain. Uh, I've never, ever forgot him, you know, when I seen him, you know, win one day at Flemington. I don't know how far he won by, but it was an awful, awful big margin and... That sort of blew me away that day, and, and I can still see it today. Looks round, he still won't release the brakes. It's six in front, Vane. Now he says you can stretch out a little bit, and Vane comes down to the line, tiring a little bats on the line, but wins by four or five lengths. Second, will you know, there's been a lot of top sprinters, and we've been lucky enough to have Chautauqua, but and you've seen, you know, Black Caviar and Scalacci and a lot of good horses, but oh. I still think he's the best sprinter I've ever seen. How old are you gone against Black Caviar, dare I ask? Ah, uh, well, it, look, different eras, different horses, but yes, he'd, in my opinion, definitely give her a run for her money, you know, but yeah, you, you don't like to detract from Black Caviar. She's an absolute superstar, and you can only, in your era, you can only be in your era as good as you can be, you know what I mean? So, and... You know, McIvey, Diva, you know, Winks, uh, all those sort. They're superstar, and racing needs them. And even though I haven't trained those sort of horses, it's still exciting to see that those sort of horses in the because it's helping our sport and our industry. We've seen that great era of mares, and and you talked about the McIvey, Diva, and Black Caviar, and Winks. Um, I still think that you could have had a mare up with them in Unworldly had had tragedy not struck her. Oh, I've undoubtedly, uh, you know, I think she'd have been, well, you'll never know, but she was of that calibre, you know, of horse, and we've been lucky enough, as I said, to train quite a few champions, and potentially she was equally as good as any of those type of horses, but it's the same thing, potential's a great thing, but you still got to do it. Unfortunately, hers was cut short by injury and we had to put her down, you know, so. And this came just off the back of winning a flight stakes by a cricket pitch. Um, went the day or the morning she went amiss in track work, she'd beaten another of your stars by a cricket pitch in track work. Like, we are talking about an absolute freak here, aren't we? Oh, yeah. Oh, no, you know, she was the elite elite in our opinion, but you got to do it. And until you do it, well, you really can't be put into that sort of category. Uh, Chautauqua is one of those greats, and there's so many moments we could go through with him. But I imagine taking him to Hong Kong, something you've rarely, rarely done, like you've had offers to train overseas and said no, but you took this horse over to Hong Kong and you beat the world's best, and 
everybody who meant something to you in your life was there that day. Yeah, I think, I think it's, you know, as I said, I've been lucky enough to win a lot of big races over a long period of time, but it has to be, <clears throat> you know, one of our greatest moments, I think. As you said, overseas, uh, win a group one in Hong Kong, feather in our cap, but it was so much sad that you're representing Australia and you don't get the opportunity to do that sort of thing, you know, very often. Everyone has a different moment in their, in their life and I've been lucky enough to have plenty, but I think doing it with your own family, I think that's pretty special. We all watched and saw the finish of the race. We didn't get to see the drama, and this is not something you've talked about much, the, um, the drama and the stress of those 25 minutes before Chautauqua beat the world's best. Um, are you okay to talk about that? Yeah, oh, it was just one of those behind the scenes things that people don't see in, in Hong Kong. They all walk uh, over the back of the track and come in behind the parade ring before the next race is run. And as they went past in the race before, he went ballistic and, you know, ripped a shoe off, uh, a hind shoe, in which that really set him alight. And they had to put it back on, which took about five or six people. And then he ripped it off again. Oh. And then they had to put it back on again. And you can imagine uh, what sort of a mess he was in at that particular time. Then we had to resaddle him, which took about eight people to resaddle him. Eventually he got into the parade ring, done one lap, and then he went out. He started to settle down once he got on the track, but that's something... But did you don't... think he'd run his race? Personally, I did, and so, you know, the boys and I thought, uh, you know, I don't know where the hell we're going to go here, but, yeah, I mean, if he'd, got, if he'd got beaten, I'd have thought, oh, well, we know why he got beaten. But anyway, he overcome that and still got up and won, so... That was an amazing feat, that. He was such a remarkable people's horse, wasn't he? He was a, he was a crowd pleaser of the highest order. Well, he, he, he done what a lot of horses, most back markers lose more than they win. I think that's why he took the people, because he couldn't win, but he still won. And I think that's, uh, that's what got all the people and the crowd, and being perhaps being a grey, all that locked into it. I think that made him that special horse. Well, we've learned that baseball's a, bit, a little bit of a passion of yours, uh, which I didn't know. Um, but something I do know is that you've always had a love for harness racing as well, and, and that was born as a youngster in Adelaide. I used to love the trots and still do. You know, I've sort of got, you know, a couple with one of my good mates, Dom Cedar, and we race, you know, a couple together at uh, Jeff Webster Trains for us who... You know, I used to play football against when he was a driver and I was a jockey, you know, back in those days. So, and we're still, you know, we're still good friends. So, no, look, it's something that I've really always enjoyed and, you know, and I still do today. It's a bit of an escape from, from the racing business. Yeah, it is, it is in, that, in that sense, if you know what I mean. It, but as I said, I've always loved the animals, the sports, and, you know, and even the Pacers, I still love to watch them even today, if you know what I mean. You watch a good Pacer, you know, the Inter-Dominions. I watched all the Inter-Dominions and that, you know, that was fantastic. As far as the training goes, I mean, uh, you know, any thoughts of retirement? Nah, not at this stage anyway, yeah. <laughs> unless the boys tell me I'm too old and, you know, tell me to move on. But uh, 
No, you know, as I said, I, you know, still love getting up and working with the horses and the family and I don't see any real reason to retire. I don't want to sit on a bloody lounge chair somewhere and, you know, I'd still enjoy going to the stables and, you know, and things like and working with the horses and, and, and the boys. I, there might come a day, who knows, but at this point in time, it's not even entered my mind. John, it's been uh, an absolute pleasure uh, to spend a bit of time with you and learn about the background and your experiences. Congratulations on the most remarkable of careers and may the best horse be yet to come, maybe. Well, we're still looking at him and I certainly hope so.